Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 100 of the Adventure Games Podcast. Now we have been promoting this particular episode for the last few weeks and with good reason because to celebrate this milestone episode uh, we were joined by none other than co-founder and former ceo of sierra online ken williams ken williams was was kind enough to speak to both myself and thomas about founding the company about some of the early games of of sierra and about his new book and he also spoke about uh, basically what it took about managing the company how he came to hire some of the great people who worked there, such as Jane Jensen and the Coles and Al Lowe and everybody else. And so with that, here is our interview with the legend that is Ken Williams. Please enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Adventure Games podcast. This, I believe, is the 100th episode, uh, at least that's the plan. So I am joined by Thomas, as always. Hello, Thomas. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm. I'm doing well. Oh, I'm sure you are because we have a very, very special guest joining us who is very kind to join us today. I am, of course, talking about the founder and former CEO of Sierra Online, Ken Williams. Hello, Ken. How are you? Oh, uh, good morning. Uh, I am doing very well. I'm happy to be here. Delighted to to have you here. So we are going to get talk about well your time at Sierra and you also. I've just released a book, uh, which we'll be hopefully talking about uh, as well, which I am just about to start reading. But Thomas has started reading it. So Thomas, if you have any questions about the book, feel free to jump in. Um, I will, I will. It's great but, so far. Uh, that's great to hear. Uh, so I suppose to, to get started, now usually I ask people to introduce themselves, but I'm guessing that most people, not all people, know who Ken Williams is. But uh, Ken, I was wondering if you could say, just to get us started, uh, when did you know that you wanted to become a programmer? Uh, do you know when you wanted to, when you got interested in computers and in programming for computers and when you wanted to make that your career? Well, uh, you know, it goes way back when I was, um, well, I would have been about 14 years old. I went to, um, in just a school field trip to um, UCLA, a big college in Los Angeles area. <clears throat> Sorry, there went my voice. Um, no, we, we, I went to a um, college, UCLA, and they happened to have a, uh, you know, I don't remember now if it was a computer or just a keyboard attached to a computer somewhere. But um, you know, I went up to it and I typed something and there was a game running on it, um, an early, um, I think it was called Star Trek game. And I uh, typed something in, the computer typed something back, and it just seemed super cool. It was kind of the first time in my life I'd ever seen any such thing. And right then and there, I said that, you know, I wanted something to do with computers because it seemed cool. And, um, you know, and then kind of when I went into college, there was no such thing in those days as computer science degrees, or at least not in, uh, not in Pomona where I was raised. Uh, the, um, I went to um, uh, California Polytechnic University 
And really the only, the closest you could get to a computer was a physics major. So I did that and took some uh, computer programming classes and loved it. But then, uh, but then flunked out of college and had to go on to other things, but uh, came back to computers at one point. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think it worked out for you. Dropping out of college, it seemed to have worked out at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It turned out okay as it was, but... Um, but yeah, no, I, if very first time I saw a computer, I think it was kind of defined I was going to wind up in computers because it just felt right. I mean, you know, in life, when you do something and it feels really right, then that's, that's what you should do. So. Right. Well, we're all grateful that you made that decision. So thank you. Well, <laughs> something else important happened in college, uh, again, because you met uh, Roberta there. I did. Well, actually, I think I met her I'm trying to remember if I met her before I started college. I think it was right around that time. And um, yeah, because when I met her and then, um, you know, we were on a double date with another couple and she was with the other guy. And so uh, it took a while for her to get done with him and for me to remember to call her and ask for her phone number. But um, but then we met and yeah, we've now been married, God, um, almost 50 years. It's scary to think. Uh, 47 years, I think. Well, nice. congratulations. That's, Long uh, time. Yeah. That's, especially well, nowadays. Because we got married when we were um, 18 years old. Or I, I was 18 by four days. Yeah, so because we got, you were her toy boy, right? Uh, <laughs> you you were her was, toy boy. I was her, her toy boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Still am. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, a, a lot of going on in a very, at a very early age then. But I... I from one thing I, I picked up from the book is that you were incredibly driven and really, really knew what you wanted, how to get there, uh, and, and just went for it without even, you know, never having the, 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 the idea that, that failure, failure was not an option. That was not on the cards. Am I, am I describing that correctly? Yeah. It, um, you know, I, I don't know if I say it, um, I was a little sensitive, so I wasn't sure how long I should say it. But I, basically, I grew up in what I consider poverty. And uh, nobody anywhere that I knew of that ever gone to college or had a white-collar job. It was, you know, and I, I just didn't want that life. You know, I would read a lot, and I would read about people that were doing better things. And um, I just decided at an early age, I'm not going to do this, and started studying um, and I wasn't even sure what to study, but I would go to the library and read uh, books on accounting because for some reason I, I would perceive that accounting was part of what was going to get me out of it. And then I would read books on electronics. And then, so I spent a lot of time at the library just picking a subject and then trying to get, you know, even within accounting, I, I studied to um, the accounting exams, the, I forget what it's called, the final uh, final accounting exam, even though I, I, mean, I wasn't even in college yet. You know, this was just a 15-year-old uh, boy, and probably that kind of started between about tw age 12 and 15 that I was practically living at the library and uh, studying, um, you know, science, electronics, uh, electricity, um, accounting, trying to um, figure out how I was going to kind of break this cycle of poverty and do something better than that. So, yeah, I was a weird kid, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how weird that would be. I mean, that sounds, I also spend a lot of time in libraries and bookshops. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was no internet in those days. I mean, if there had been an right. internet, I'd have been, uh, it would have been great. 
I mean, but anybody today, I mean, instead of going to the library, you go on uh, YouTube and you can pick almost any subject and learn anything you want. So it's, uh, that's the first place. I, I remember the old days browsing the uh, self-help shelves and, you know, looking for programming books and stuff. And, you know, now I'm trying to learn Unity, a game engine. And I just go to YouTube and I pick a video and there's thousands to pick from and it's pretty cool. So new world. Nice. Yeah. Then I was wondering, so you went to college and you met Roberta there. You mentioned how you got married. And then you founded or co-founded Sierra. And so I just wanted to, uh, to ask, uh, how, did you co- how did you start to found Sierra? Was that because, I believe, was it that uh, Roberta wanted to make a game? I think, was it Mystery House? And I was wondering if you could tell us what the objectives were when you founded Sierra. Well, I, I mean, the original objective of Sierra was to do a Fortran compiler. I had, uh, just for my programming days, I always kind of thought that the, uh, the peak of success as an engineer would be to uh, write a compiler, because I was always working in other people's programming languages, and I always wanted my own. So, and then, you know, Microsoft was starting up, and they had a product called uh, Visual Basic, and they put it on the uh, Apple II and on the uh, TRS-80. And um, I saw their success, and I kind of wanted to do that. So I had this vision of putting Fortran. I just built a um, Fortran compiler for another company, so I was thinking I'd put it on the um, Apple II and started programming. And then um, Roberta saw the uh, Crowther and Woods adventure game, uh, Colossal Cave. It started playing it and kind of took my computer away. Well, actually, well, she wasn't playing it on that. She took away my uh, teletype machine I was using to dial in to, uh, I think it was MIT, to play the old Colossal Cave Adventure. And she loved it and um, then immediately wanted me to do a game and started kind of pushing me on, why don't you you know, dump that stupid Fortran project and do a game? And, um, and I said no, because I, I didn't consider the game serious. But... Um, she persisted and then took me to dinner one night and she'd actually worked out all of her maps and stuff and uh, really was pretty, uh, pretty serious about, you got to do this. And uh, you know, that old thing about happy wife, happy life. I figured <laughs> I could uh, somehow get her off my back by um, giving her her game. And um, I, you know, and I didn't, and, and really I, I guess what worked well was because I didn't want to do the game. Instead of building a game for her, I focused on how I could build her tools that she could use to build a game. And that seemed much faster to me than building a game. So instead, I tried to work out how could she map out her game on pieces of paper. And then uh, somehow, I, all I had to do was write something to put those into the computer and then play back what was on her pieces of paper. And then she could do her own game development and her own debugging. And I was working a lot at the time. So she had you know, all the computer time she could want. And so I just gave her some simple tools to put a game in the computer and, um, and she did it. I mean, basically she built mystery house by herself using some uh, tools I'd given her and um, yeah, she wasn't a programmer, but, but that worked well for us because suddenly then I could give those same tools to other people who were creative and they could build games. And so that kind of became the start of Sierra. Yeah, it's yeah, the accidental company. <laughs> no. Because one of your guiding principles at Sierra was that you you wanted to hire people who were 
incredibly passionate about what they were doing. So this must have been, these tools must have, must have made so much more possible for them to have someone come in who was not a computer programmer, but passionate about a story he wanted to tell and then being able to tell it through those tools. Yep. That, um, yeah, that, that was the goal, was to somehow remove the barrier between somebody who is passionate about something and being able to uh, release it. And so, yeah, making things simple and empowering people to do things they couldn't do otherwise. That was kind of the, the mantra. So, you know, remove any barrier between, you know, uh, somebody with an idea and getting it on screen. So, yeah, I think most of our people were not um, technical who did the games. Uh, they were just good writers or passionate about something. So... Yeah, I think there's a lesson yeah, there. Yeah, uh, had a little computer experience, but not much. You know, yeah, I mentioned in the book, her first programming job, I did um, more of her coding than she did. Yeah, I read that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were suspicious about that, but they were like, hey, this works. We're not asking any yeah. questions. <laughs> I, my second job, I guess. <laughs> you, you really were, a, at, at least it comes across like that, like, a very well-oiled machine working together, uh, complementing each other in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we work together well, although we um, we feud a lot. I mean, she's, uh, Roberta is, uh, you know, I, I tease her about the uh, her Irish personality and that I do <laughs> think that, uh, that one of the, well, I would claim I mean, the stereotype that um, I, Irish sometimes can have uh, strong, passionate feelings about everything. And she's, uh, yeah, she, she can, she can, uh, she can get highly opinionated on things. <laughs> yeah. She's a tough lady to deal with. <laughs> well. With uh, Mystery House, is, is it correct to say that that was the first game with graphics on a PC or on, uh, there wasn't a console? Am I, or am I wrong or something? Because I think I, read that somewhere I think, you know, because oh, like I, I think we claim that but i'm not 100 <laughs> percent sure it's true because i remember bill budge had some sort of a game that i saw about that time and it had graphics um so i don't know yeah I, <laughs> it, whether or not we were actually the first i don't know we were certainly within uh, weeks or months of being the first i know even um you know wozniak at one point claimed that we were the first time he had seen graphics come out of the apple II. So we, we certainly date back to the beginning, whatever that was. So one of the first anyway, at least, one of the pioneers at least. And then uh, you guys made uh, King's Quest 1, which was a pioneer. Was, um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but am I correct in saying that this was the first graphic game PC where you could move the character? Or again, it's not on console where you could move the character along the screen. And, and just because it's, I'm sure it must have been amazing for people back then. Yeah, there was, there's quite a story about, um, yeah, King's Quest One in the book where I talk about um, how that game came to be. And it was at a pivotal time for the company because we had decided we were going to go do video game cartridges at a time when the market was collapsing. It's hard to believe now, but there was a time when nobody wanted a video game system. The uh, Nintendo, um, I guess it was called the NES, had, um, had oversold. Everybody kind of had one, and everybody all decided they hated them on the same day. And the bottom just dropped out of the market. 
right at a time when we took delivery on tens of thousands of cartridges and it destroyed the company. So uh, IBM came along and wanted Roberta to do Wizard and the Princess, kind of that very first game we did for, the, um, for a new computer they had coming out, kind of a, at the time a top secret computer called the uh, PC Junior. And they uh, gave us money and put us back in business and we used it. And, and Roberta didn't want to just do uh, Wizard and the Princess. She kind of started on that, but then uh, said, well, gosh, if IBM's only give us money, um, you know, she always had this vision of a little guy running around to be able to play the adventure game. And she um, talked me into doing a prototype and we took it to IBM and they looked at it and they were blown away. And they said, gosh, we'll fund that. And um, they, so yeah, you know, IBM paid for the development of King's Quest and, um, and that went well. And, and Roberta, you know, it was, um, she kind of like always had the vision of the little character running around, but the Apple II didn't have the horsepower to make it happen. I think later we did, well, I'm not sure if we ever went back and put King's Quest on the Apple II. The Apple II was a pretty gutless machine at the time. It had um, initially 16K of memory, and I think it came out with 48K. And then maybe somebody did the um, a 64K, and then I think they did an Apple IIe or something like that, that or C, that suddenly got up to 128. But I don't think we ever, I don't know. I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite an innovation at the time. And the way I did the uh, fake 3D was kind of a big deal at the time. But, you know, even, even the PC Junior didn't have the ability to do true 3D. And even if it had, you know, I don't think I was good enough at math to make it happen. So um, anyway, sorry. What, no, uh, no. what more can I tell you? Well, the, in, in the book, you describe uh, Roberta's reaction to uh, playing Colossal Cave and King's Quest had that reaction on me uh, when I played that for the first time. So I, I completely understand how, how a game, and I was already into adventure games back then, but text adventures and graphic adventures, but King's Quest was such a game changer for me that really sparked my imagination and, and made me a, a, a lifelong adventure game fan. So thank you very much for, for introducing me to that. And then, when I got a wee bit older, Larry was introduced to me. <laughs> and that's uh, <laughs> was also very weird being a kid in the Netherlands and not really having access to those games uh, a lot. But um, so I got a cracked version where you had to, sorry for that. I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure you since rebought it though. <laughs> I have rebought almost every Sierra game uh, I played uh, back then. I, I, I rebought them all because. Yeah, they were such an important part of my child, of, well, basically from being 10 years old to now, actually. So, oh, uh, great. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's no, enough. thank you. <laughs> You've uh, enriched my life. And now I get to extend my thanks to, uh, to you and Roberta and, and, and all the others that you managed to uh, cultivate there at, at Sierra. You had some amazing highs and lows. Uh, the... One, there's one scene in the book that had me grinning from ear to ear is when the, um, the, the venture uh, investors wanted to have a discussion about merging Sierra with, uh, 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 what was the name? Spinnaker well, Software. Yeah. And you describe yeah. how you were in that meeting, had to excuse Roberta. Uh, and then uh, 
being a bit of a, a hippie in a three-piece suit that was uh, not really fitting very well. And they were these, these very smooth guys. And then all of a sudden, Roberta comes in unex unexpectedly. Could you, could you tell us a bit about that? Well, that's, that's classic Roberta. She, um, <laughs> you know, remember I mentioned she would, could be opinionated. And um, you know, Roberta is not ever going to take nothing off nobody. She, uh, but she, I mean, the company was basically dead. And we were in the board meeting and the investors, you know, we had venture capitalists and they had investments in kind of the whole space. They had invested in lots of PC software companies and uh, all of them were kind of dogs at that point. Really, um, Activision was the only company that uh, was doing really well. And I think Electronic Arts was kind of hanging in there because they had gone over to cartridges. And uh, But Sierra, Spinnaker, a lot of these companies were uh, dying. And all the venture capitalists could think about was, maybe if we roll all these things together, then we can have a viable company. And so... Uh, both a company, an educational company called Spinnaker and Sierra were investor, were, were part of the same portfolio as, um, yeah, for this one venture capital firm, PA Associates. And uh, they basically uh, wanted to get the two companies to merge and then uh, figuring they'd have uh, one great company out of two dying companies and flew their management team out to meet us. And the guys were, um, oh, on the U... In the U.S., I guess on the East Coast, they're a little more formal than on the West Coast. And these were uh, kind of Harvard-educated, um, fancy Boston types. And they were doing their presentation, and Roberta thought that they were um, idiots. I mean, she really, um, you know, she thought that, because they were, they had <laughs> raised a ton of money and were spending the money um, fiercely. And, uh, but ultimately, you know, the box looked good, but what was inside was uh, less good. And she didn't respect their products. And when the investors were trying to put us together with them, they were, they were given their big fancy slideshow. And uh, Roberta refused to come to the meeting, but then uh, shows up, you know, an hour late as they're kind of wrapping their presentation. And I'm always kind of like, I like to listen and understand things and pay attention. So I was being very polite. But Roberta comes in late and uh, dressed, um, you know, everybody else was in formal business suits. And Roberta comes in looking, um, you know, game designer casual with a uh, black t-shirt and pants and, you know, and moseys into the room and goes and gets coffee, coffee and pretends like she doesn't know what we're talking about and asks, uh, asks what we're talking about. And somebody says, well, Spinnaker, or I think I said, Spinnaker's just given their presentation. And Roberta said, no, tell him to go home. That's kind of a waste of time that um, we have no interest. These guys are idiots right in front of them. And uh, I was humiliated. Everybody. <laughs> I mean, it was really, they were, they were embarrassed and they kind of quickly wrapped up their presentation and left. And, um, you know, and Roberta, you know, she just took charge of the meeting. She looked at our board of directors and just said, um, these guys are losers. We're not going to merge with them. And uh, the board kind of, um, at that point, uh, you know, pointed at me and said, I wasn't chairman of the board anymore. And uh, so they weren't giving us more money and we could just figure it out on our own. And they, they left town. So it was, um, it was not a good situation. I mean, it was kind of a nice moment for Roberta, but 
you know, once they left the room, you know, her and I looked at each other and we had no money, no hope, no, um, yeah, we had at the time, I think 130 employees. So there were a lot of people that were depending on us. We had uh, developed a lot of software and, um, you know, people expected their paychecks. But we went back to the company the next day and had to lay off 100 people, which was depressing to say the least. And um, skinning it back to a small team, the only team kept alive was, um, I guess we had kind of the start of what was going to become King's Quest going. And uh, we kind of kept that project because we knew it looked good, but we had no idea how we were going to get the money to finish it. And that's when uh, the idea came up to start building a prototype of King's Quest for IBM. And uh, then they saved the company. I don't know what would have happened if, um, if we hadn't had IBM to help bankroll us at that point. But uh, we were keeping the company alive on our credit cards. And this was 1983. It was a long time ago. So that's almost 40 years ago. And, uh, but it worked. I mean, it worked. We, uh, you know, I pulled it out when we need to. And, um, and that was a classic Roberta moment. The, uh, even the board always uh, refers back to that moment in time when, history could have been different. So. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of some people that I know that, um, <laughs> that are, you know, I'm sure we've all been there that we all want to say things exactly <laughs> like Roberta did, but that, that sounds great. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I that, mean, in one yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I think mentally I was thinking about, I do not want to go back to work tomorrow and lay a lot of people off. Mm. That, is, that is tough. That is yeah. uh, that's kind of the worst experience you can ever have as a uh, manager is to have to, um, I guess, admit failure and somehow we screwed this whole thing up and people have to be sent home. So that was no fun, but it, it ended well. And almost everybody that we had laid off got rehired within a month or two because suddenly um, not only did I talk IBM into funding King's Quest, but several other projects. And that gave us enough work to put everybody back to work. So it was uh, a pretty short um, short lesson in uh, humility, but um, we turned it around and hired everybody back and everything went well. So we spoke about some of the people that you hired that seemed to be more writers and they were passionate about things. And uh, I think there's a lesson there for companies as well. With the really talented people like Al Lowe, Jane Jensen, and two guys from Andromeda, uh, what, what did you see in them when you first hired them? Was there anything that stood out for them? Because I believe Al Lowe was a teacher. And so they were, you know, were young at the time, and Corey and Lori Cole, of course. Um, was there anything that you saw in them that made you want to hire them, that obviously worked well as well, that you wanted them to work for Sierra? You know, I kind of accidentally hired them, I guess, <laughs> in that um, Al Lowe, I mean, at the time, uh, was a teacher, and he just uh, came up to my booth at a computer show. This would have been in, oh, probably 81 or 82, so a long time ago. And he had written a couple of games in basic for the Apple II that were uh, preschool games that were pretty bad called, uh, I think, Bop a Bet and one other. And they were just little preschool games, but I was, uh, I was selling software. And, and, you know, and in those days, anything that I could sell like that was like free money because uh, retailers, there was so much of a, a hunger for software that uh, any, anything that would run on the Apple II, it helped, them, it helped the retailers sell the computers. And so they would stock it. And Al had a couple of games ready to go that he had packaged himself. And I said, fine, I'll sell those. And um, Al, you know, and then Al 
came to work at Sierra. I, you know, I'm trying to remember how he came inside. I think, you know, he was a smart guy and we kind of clicked his people. I like Al. He's, he's a really funny guy in real life. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so he came to work and somehow became our programming manager. I think I had him on salary at the time, in addition to selling his games. And he knew nothing about programming, but he was pretty good at getting people to work. Al's a, um, kind of a good guy. I mean, he, he can manage people and motivate people and talk to people. So he came inside and was helping me by running the programmers. And when the uh, crash hit, I remember telling him that I had no money to pay him and uh, may I could flip him to get in a piece of the action on some of the products that were coming out. And I think he worked free for a while um, right after the crash and then um, wound up uh, working with Roberta, I think on King's Quest. There was some game he worked on where he worked alongside of Roberta. Was that the Black Cauldron adaptation? Yeah, probably it's Black Cauldron. He was kind of like assistant designer. And then he actually wound up doing most of the work. Roberta was kind of the point person with uh, Disney. But uh, Al did, by far, I think, the most work on Black Cauldron under her direction. And then when that finished, um, we were making a soft porn text game at that time. And uh, I asked Al if he wanted to consider putting it to graphics and that became Leisure Suit Larry and that was 100% Al's project. So he kind of interned under Roberta and then spun off to do his own game with Leisure Suit Larry that was, uh, as you know, kind of a big hit. So Al... Just um, a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a good game. It was funny that, I mean, most people had already played in those days, the game Softporn was a big hit. So they had already played the game but everybody wanted to see it with graphics. So they went back in and played it again. And Al made it a much um, richer game and <laughs> added all the slight gags and funny names. And Al's a good guy. So, well, and then let's see other people. Um, oh, who else was around in those times? Um, who else did you mention? Let's see. Uh, no, it could be a bit uh, later, but Corey, Laurie Cole, um, the two guys from Andromeda and uh, Jane Jensen, no, they could have been later. Jim Walsh. Be later. Yeah, it's funny. I don't remember how Jim I found Wallace. those. I think um, uh, Jane Jensen had already been a writer and was writing um, kind of books in the fantasy category. And I wanted something in that category because I knew it would uh, target people. And she sent me, I think, a book she had written and said, I think I should be a designer for you and uh, was willing to move to the area. In fact, she may have been in the area. And uh, so that was perfect. I, you know, I, I liked her writing style and knew that it would make a great game. I think Corey and Laurie fit into the same category. Uh, she was a writer and loved RPG type games and thought she could do something for us. There must have been something they were playing or maybe they were just like, I, you know, like Christy Marks. I, I looked for kind of people that were really into this stuff. And I remember like Christy Marks who did like our conquest of Camelot used to go to these fairs where you would actually dress up as a character and uh, Peter Ledger, her um, significant other, I guess you'd call him, um, was a big beefy guy and had a sword and had the ponytail and they, they were living the part. You know, and that, that's what I really looked for was people that um, identified with a target audience. And I always tried to keep myself neutral. I wasn't uh, particularly one thing or the other. I just knew that there were 
customers for, or that that, that, that demographic existed. And if I could build a product that, um, and find somebody that was really plugged into that community, then uh, there'd be a market for it. So, um, yeah, so all of the games, I tried to look for somebody that was part of the target audience and have them build the game and then tried to do everything in my power to empower them to build the game without a whole lot of interruption. And uh, one of the big themes in the book is um, that whole idea of um, stopping outside influences from destroying the creative vision of the person responsible for the product. And a lot of what I had to do was to somehow put walls around the person who was building the product so that um, everybody on the team didn't push it a different direction. Yeah, long answer to the short question. <laughs> no, that's great because I think you answered my, you know, it's another question I had uh, as well. It's uh, and it's again, it seems to work because every of the at least with the quest games that I've played, I've played the main quest games, and they all seem very different. They all seem to be an extension of the developer's personality. You know, the Coles and Al Lowe that you mentioned, and Christy Marks and uh, Jane Jensen as well. That uh, with these games, it seems to be like an extension of their own personalities. Um, yeah. which is kind of rare these days like, because a lot of AAA games now, they seem to be like games and movies as well. You could say that just uh, games by committee, you know, tick boxes. <laughs> and Sierra games certainly were not like that. Um, now, we, we had a different product development philosophy, whereas um, today I do sense that a lot of the big labels will look to see what they think well, they're so focused on, um, you know, if you're going to spend $10 million on development for a game, you better believe you can sell 40 or $50 million worth of that game. Or if you want to spend $50 million, you better believe you can spend, you know, sell $250 million worth. And those kind of big investments, you're not taking chances. You're looking at um, proven products that prove the category. And I kind of was a little different in that um, I was looking for niches of people, somebody from the community to build a product to serve that community and would build, you know, much more modest level budget products, but where I knew there was kind of a customer base that would appreciate it. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what my strategy would be if I was in the business today. I'd probably do the same thing, you know, not necessarily go for the, um, you know, the hundred million dollar seller, but instead look for, um, you know, people more vertically targeted games serving, serving smaller communities. But I don't know. Who knows? So I've been out of the business 20 years. Well, you had quite a, on a lot of things, you have a very, you had a very good vision on what you wanted to do. And as a matter of fact, this, this book has blown my mind several times because the very first computer game I finished myself was Quest for Tires, and I had no idea that was a that was a Sierra game. I had no I, idea. And I, you know, that came out of me loving the comic strip when I was a kid. I, I, I used to look forward to the Sunday uh, newspapers because they had the comic strips in color. And um, you know, I wasn't so rich in those days. I could afford a lot of comic books. So I had to wait for Sunday and get the paper. And, uh, and, well, and then I always worked around newspapers when I was a kid. So I, I just loved the comic strips. And Johnny Hart was uh, one of the better ones, though, so, with uh, Quest for Tires and Wizard of Bed. Yeah. So that was pretty cool getting to meet him and build games based on it. Yeah. Was he a good drummer? Oh, and he was a good driver. Yeah, he, uh, 
that was funny. You know, when you're staying at somebody's house and we were staying at his house, we had no choice. He was a uh, drummer and liked to drum all, all night. And uh, so I thought it was cool. You know, we're here at uh, my favorite com comic strip guy's house and, uh, and we get to listen to a concert in the middle of the night when we want to sleep. But, but it was fun. Like, those are good days. I would take those back. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 this seems like really yeah. good days. <laughs> uh, well, an, another thing that strikes me about uh, employees at uh, Sierra Den is that there were a lot of, um, you know, women who had your lead developers as well at the time, which seems to be different to now because from what I can see nowadays in a lot of game companies, a lot of the people working the game seem to be like uh, white guys. Uh, from what I could see, it could be wrong, or at least people high up, you know, make the decisions. But in Sierra, you know, we spoke with Jane Jensen, Kirsty Mark, Roberta, of course, Corey Cole. Um, did, how, how, how much of an impact do you think that that had on the success of the game? Do you think it had any impact? Do you think that, uh, you know, was, was this just something that happened naturally when you were working with people, uh, for people who work in the company? And do you think other companies nowadays could learn something from that? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, it, Roberta and I, I, I guess no part of our personality cares what um, religion, sex, color, political belief, anything somebody is. It, it just never, you know, even, you know, people are always calling Roberta and saying, uh, we're, we, we want to give you a women in uh, computers award, or we want you to talk about, you know, how women broke through or any of this women's lib stuff. And it never occurred to me or her or anybody else. Um, she was just kind of the right person for the job at the right time. And uh, yeah, there was never any kind of like proactive, let's go find some women to be our designers. It, um, I think it was just who came in, who, you know, like Christy Marks and Peter Ledger, I kind of took them as a team. Corey and Laurie, I kind of took as a team. Um, James Jensen, Lorelai Shannon. Um, they were just good at what they did. I mean, it was never, you know, at, later on when people said, well, you, you had mostly female designers. I was kind of like, I did, I guess. Okay. Yeah. But it never, never occurred to me. So I don't know. I, I, uh, I did when it came to uh, female programming and I mentioned it in the book that, um, you know, like when Roberta was working as a uh, software developer in LA, um, yeah, I, I comment in the book that she didn't really have to be good that, uh, you know, companies, uh, the idea of actually hiring a female software developer was so rare that uh, she could get employed with or without experience. That, uh, so, but yeah, no, there was never, never, ever any kind of uh, thought of was a person female or male or anything else. It was just... Um, I was far more focused on, did they know the RPG category or did they know the horror category? You know, Lorelai Shannon kind of lived for uh, horror. And, uh, you know, even to this day, I mean, she's kind of, you know, she was ahead of her time in being, uh, I guess, goth is what they'd call it these days. Uh, and, she was uh, the Phantasmagoria developer, right? Uh, Lorelai did uh, Phantasmagoria, the sequel. Yeah, okay. and she understudied with Roberta on... Um, the Laura Bow series. And I think she did the second in the Laura Bow series. I don't think Roberta did. I think Roberta, well, maybe Roberta did two of them. I've forgotten. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Roberta loved Laura Bow. That was kind of, um, I guess, a little bit of a breakthrough. And it was the first uh, game with a female protagonist. 
and uh, kind of grew out of, um, oh, I don't, just something Roberta wanted to do. She liked the idea of having a, um, a female central character. I wasn't sure that people would uh, like that in those days, but nobody cared. Everybody liked it. Mm. It's a good game. Yeah, I think a lot of people could learn from, from what you just said there, that just get the best people. <laughs> and, yeah, just uh, get the best people. And don't worry <laughs> about the rest. If you get good people, it'll be fine. Exactly. You, well, you I, have a very interesting, uh, interesting look at that where you talk about um, categorizing employees in a, in a company uh, from uh, F people to triple A people. Could you uh, light, enlighten us a bit on that? Oh, um, on what? On technical writing or? No, no. How you, how you um, categorize the people that work in a company from uh, D and F F people uh, all the way up to triple A people and how you try to hire B people and up and how that, how they affect each other and how, how was that in relation to Shara? Yeah. I talk in the book a little about, um, Oh, I guess personality types and uh, you know, and, and mentally I did, I, I guess um, break people into categories in that there are some people who are happy to stay home with their kids and go to soccer games or whatever. And, um, and I respect that. I, I don't fault them for that. Um, or people that go to work, but uh, they know exactly how many vacation days they have coming. They know how many sick days they have coming. And the first thing on the calendar is when am I going to go on vacation? And, uh, you know, and like I said, I, I don't, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not a God. I don't, yeah, I don't make the world and I don't give people personalities. But uh, then there's another category of people who get up in the morning and, um, you know, they read um, accounting publications because they want to be an accountant. They read everything that's happening in software engineering because they want to be a software engineer. And then they go to work and then they come home and they work on personal software engineering projects and they just live for growing up being a software engineer. They live to... And there's, there's people that, um, you know, their, their passion is work. And when they get up in the morning, I wouldn't say is work, is what they do, you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, those are the people who, when they're a kid, they're playing football and they grow up to be football stars, you know. And there are people that are willing to give up a lot else in life in order to achieve their goal. And I kind of looked for those kind of people to work for Sierra and, you know, I'm not even sure it's legal in today's world. The, the, the world's changed a little bit. I used to ask people in interviews, you know, how many hours a week did you average at your last job? And if they said 40, then I'd kind of like, no, I don't want you here. Yeah, I was really looking for people who uh, were programming because they loved programming and were staying late at night because, um, you know, uh, building games was more important to them than having a personal life. And, um, yeah, I don't know in today's world, you're even allowed to admit that uh, companies look for that attribute in people, but I, I did like that. I mean, I wanted people who, um, were dedicated to their job and were hardworking and were willing to, um, you know, get up in the morning and think about Sierra and build Sierra games. And, um, and I also look for people that cared a lot about, um, the customer and being able to see the game through the customer's eyes. So, so yeah, some of the book is talking about what I looked for in people and, um, and that worked. Yeah. I mean, it worked. I, we, we had a pretty, I mean, there was nobody looking at the clock at five o'clock to go home at Sierra. 
I, it was really, you know, when, when, when the time would come and we were done for the day, most people would go over to somebody else's computer and watch them play a game or play a game or play each other's games. And you couldn't wait till somebody got something running so that you could go play it. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, I talk about uh, Papyrus. They were kind of the purest form of it. It was a company that uh, was a Sierra division that built race car games. And I knew the first time I walked into the building that it, they needed to be part of the Sierra family because in almost every cubicle, there was a tire up on the wall or a steering wheel. And they had kind of custom built their own uh, racing simulators that you would sit in like a coin out machine. You know, it was the first time I'd see it was, you know, dating back far enough, the Carter arcades didn't have racing machines, but these guys had built them themselves. And after work, that's what they would do. So throughout Sierra, um, you know, and I had other weird rules, like I wouldn't allow too many developers in any one place because I, I was always afraid that Sierra would become a big corporate bureaucracy. And it was much tougher for me to run to have everybody scattered. We were in, oh, I don't know how many, uh, 15, 20 locations. So for me to look at our products, I had to get on an airplane. And um, literally, we were in the west coast of the U.S., the east coast of the U.S., the southwest coast, the southeast coast. We were in the U.K. We were in uh, Paris. We were, and, and I spent most of my life going around to look at the products. But it was important to do that because I didn't want to have one big building with all of our creative people in it because it would, um, it would turn into a big company. And I didn't want that. I like being a series of little companies each with a clear creative focus so that, um, you know, and in some ways I didn't like it when Dynamics wanted to build adventure games because it kind of muddied their vision a little bit. And they had been my flight simulator company and I kind of liked them best when they were really focusing in on building flight sims. And in Oakhurst, they were doing great adventure games and I kind of wanted to keep them doing that. But we did get a little bit of cross-pollination. But um, in general, you know, small teams do really great creative things. And when you start getting too bureaucratic, it kind of turns to crap. And, and, but then when Sierra was acquired, one of the things that ultimately screwed us up was that they looked at the operation and said, well, here's the problem. These guys aren't as profitable as they could be because they're scattered 15 different directions. Let's get rid of 14 of those locations and consolidate to one place. And then, uh, as I could have predicted, suddenly the whole magic of Sierra disappeared. So, um, anyway, I, okay, sorry. No, that's, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's all I'm not, I'm not at that part of the book yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you'll see, you'll see it. Uh, I know a, a book that starts and ends with a quote from the uh, Titanic, you know, it's not going to be a happy story. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but spoilers, it's uh, not all fairy tales of happy endings. So. No, no, that, that one didn't. Yeah. Um, Everybody hated that title when I first start, told them about it, but then uh, I just said, heck with it, I like it, so let's do it. Yeah, I like it too. I think it makes sense for Sierra because you did work with you know, King's Quest and Quest for Glory as well, so it kind of makes yeah. sense in, in that, uh, that regard. Um, I don't want to keep you uh, too long, but I just wanted to, to ask you as well. Now, I'm loath to mention the other adventure game company at the time, but I just want to ask you uh, with LucasArts, because even to this day, about 30 years later, if you go on Facebook to one of these adventure game groups, you will still get a question by so- from someone saying, 
So, which games company do you prefer, LucasArts or Sierra? <laughs> As if you have to like one or the other. And Thomas and I all say, well, we like both. Um, but what, was there really a, a rivalry between LucasArts and Sierra at the time? Or was it more a friendly rivalry? Or, you know, Howard, because I know that you, you mentioned before in, I believe, other interviews that you wanted to be a pioneer. You wanted Sierra to be a first of its kind, that you didn't want to worry about what other companies were doing. But how, how, what was... What was the rivalry like between LucasArts and Sierra at the time? You know, was there a rivalry at the time? Yeah, well, no, not really, because um, I liked stopping our people from looking at competitors' products. And really, the, um, the game flowed from the designer. And if Roberta didn't play um, Monkey Island or whatever... Uh, then she didn't know about it and she could focus on her stuff. And the team itself was, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but they were following her lead. So whether they played it or not wasn't as important as whether she did. And Roberta never really played and Jane Jensen didn't play and those people didn't play the products from the other people. But I did. You know, I would look at them and they scared the heck out of me. You know, when I looked at uh, Loom or Monkey Island or looked at the Infocom products, I could see the greatness. And, you know, and I would take away from that to go back to my people and tell them we need to innovate more and do new things and push new horizons. Because I knew those guys were nipping at our heels and they were doing really good work. So I, I wouldn't say there was as much of a rivalry as there was fear, you know. But you see a competitor product that looks good and it's right straight down the middle of what you do for a living. Um, if you don't get scared, you're, you're not paying attention. So, yeah, but, but then you go out and then you take the point and click uh, innovation and then you create King's Quest V, which was stunningly gorgeous. Stunningly yeah. gorgeous. What a milestone game in the genre. Yeah. No, how, we, how did that come about? Well, that was Roberta. I mean, she, you know, each King's Quest product inside Sierra was what we would try to do with each King's Quest was push the state of the art. So for each King's Quest, what, what would happen, we had a, a, a tools group and an interpreter group, we called them behind the screen or behind, behind the scenes. And with each King's Quest before it would start, um, we would try to figure out what was going to be a breakthrough for the product. And uh, with some, it was music. Uh, with some, it was a user interface. And Roberta would work with the tools group to try to figure out what we could do to really kind of do a breakthrough or somehow send the industry spiraling some new direction. And uh, that was kind of her job. And then the other teams would take that technology and build their games with it. And when Roberta wanted to do point and click, it was, um, I think, partially in a reaction to me saying that I thought we needed to shake up the user interface and that I was worried about the typing. You know, I, I didn't think that um, it, it just didn't feel like something a lot of people wanted to do. And uh, that, you know, if they could just point and grab things, it would be better. And so Roberta designed the King's Quest V interface, and everybody hated it. Uh, it um, you know, the magazines kind of were brutal on it at first, even inside the company. Uh, people like Jane Jensen and 
they were all kind of like, this is really dumb. This, this isn't going to work. But then the customers liked it. You know, Roberta was right on that one. So she fought that battle and won it and suddenly people liked it. So, um, and I think pretty much every game since then has done that. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, with uh, Phantasmagoria, she shook up the interface again. You know, that one works pretty different. So she's, um, yeah, and, and you know, I, I just wish she had done a King's Quest 9 or 10 or 11 to see where she would have taken the industry. I played, um, I played the King's Quest games that came out from, uh, well, I didn't play them. You know, like anything, I do 10 minutes worth just to get a sense of where it's going. And um, it didn't feel like the industry had moved that much since when we left it 25 years ago. And um, that was a little disappointing. It looked kind of like the old games with a new paint job. And it would have been interesting to see what new direction you could have spun that. And, um, and I don't know what that is, but somehow I think if Roberta had stayed in, she would have figured that out. So... Probably, yeah. There is there is some innovation, but uh, we also noticed because we, we, we think we are in like a new golden age of adventure game because there are some incredible, incredible stories coming out in the genre. Um, but people really hold on to that uh, point and click feel that they have. And we even have uh, like the old Sierra interface uh, mm -hmm. with the, the which were more graphic adventures like uh, people designing games and that. But updating it in, in different ways. So it's like there is a there seems to be a good mix between the old and the new going on uh, that might not be immediately recognizable if you if you indeed like you just look at screenshots or you play for five minutes or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and there's way more crossover. Like one of the big games was Disco Elysium, which is basically an adventure game that is created like a ro uh, an isometric role-playing game. And one of my favorites was Heaven's Vault, which is also an amazing not a 100% point-and-click game, but uh, that, that takes other storytelling elements. And, and there, is, there is so much going on. And yes, I would have loved to see what, uh, uh, what Shara would have done, what Roberta would have done, or what any of the other creators would have done had uh, would they still be creating for Shara. Is, is there anything that you... Are there any projects that you um, regret that never saw the light? Oh, projects I regret. Um, well, there, there were some mistakes made, you know, and I would count um, sequels where the original author didn't stay in. It was kind of a mistake we made. The, um, you know, like even Phantasmagoria 2. Um, Lorelai Shannon's great, but she took over Roberta's game because um, I, I wanted Roberta to do King's Quest Eight. And I, yet I also knew that Phantasmagoria was a huge hit. So I had uh, Lorelai Shannon take over Phantasmagoria 2, and it kind of killed the series in a way, and that it was such a different game than Phantasmagoria 1. It had things to recommend it, but you really kind of muddy a series when you swap the, um, yeah, swap the author. Uh, similarly, we made the same mistake. Um, oh, crap, I'm trying to, well, Laura Bow, I think, uh, switched from 1 to 2. Uh, there were some mistakes in just not doing sequels with games that actually were pretty good. You know, part of our um, philosophy was to spend a lot of money on the first in a series, and then uh, if people like it, keep going. And we never, um, never did any sequels for Freddy Farkas or Torrance Passage, a couple of Al Lowe games that I thought were actually pretty good. Um, 
Dynamics went it into the venture game category, and I thought did some games that um, uh, weren't super great and kind of helped cut off our, um, you know, uh, Willie Beamish uh, was okay, and they did another one. Oh, I forget what it was, but those uh, that was kind of a mistake, I think, and misdirected them a di- wrong direction. Uh, Space Quest was awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could have done that forever and ever. I'm looking forward to their uh, space space venture, you know, Scott yes. and Mark that are working on come out. That'll be fun to play, even though it'll be a low-budget game. I don't know. Yeah, and, and the book I talk about, Outpost, that's the other one, where, um, you know, a game that had potential, but ultimately um, we shipped before it was ready and kind of uh, irritated a lot of customers by... Um, by doing a uh, game and releasing it before it was complete. So yeah, uh, lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. If you study Sierra, there's uh, <laughs> there's some good stuff and a lot of bad. No, I love how honest you are about that in the book, uh, about what happened, about who deserve also about who deserves credit for things. Like uh, you're very honest about uh, what Roberta did and what you did and what you did wrong. It's very, and it's actually very inspiring to read uh, and also because you tell what you learned from everything and how that later on you managed to take those failures and then try to um, twist them into something positive for the company. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm long retired, not coming back to the game business. <laughs> and uh, at this point, really kind of focused on um, boating. But if there's something in my story that could help others. And I don't know what it is. There's a lot in the book, but uh, obviously I kind of went, it's, it's semi a rags to riches story. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, and there's gotta be some elements in there somewhere that will help other aspiring engineers or designers or game developers or something. And I'm not sure what it is, but I wrote it and hope people like it or, you know, I, I guess I don't even care if they like it. If, you know, if, I, if I'll get an email five years from now from, you know, three or four people that said it changed their lives. And I think there are some people out there that the book can help. And uh, that, that, that'll be the payday for me. And so I'll, I'll kind of wait and see if that happens. I'm, so. I'm sure, I'm sure it will. Now, I don't want to keep you too long, but one question that I wanted to ask you as a programmer that again, is still discussed a lot. And we've discussed it on the podcast, uh, Tom, it's, it's about 3d <laughs> that a lot of people still, talk about 3D in adventure games because uh, towards the end of the 90s, I know Sierra and LucasArts uh, games released in 3D and with Quest for Glory 5 and King's Quest 8 and Gabriel Knight 3. Um, looking back, uh, what is your opinion on 3D in adventure games? Do you have a preference to anything, to any style, uh, 2D versus 3D? Do you think 3D can work? Do you like 3D in games or in adventure games? Or just wanted to know as... Uh, for you, what is your opinion on the whole debate 2D versus 3D, um, if you have any on that? Yeah, I mean, it, um, what I don't like about 3D is um, the budget. I mean, it, uh, it, you know, it, when people get so enamored with the um, art that they forget about the gameplay, I, it's it's just mm. expensive to work in 3D and to animate those characters. Plus, you know, it's hard to make, even in today's technology, a character walk like a real person would. 
uh, you can get close, but it, it, you can look at it. I mean, even, even if the character looks human, the second they start walking or motioning or lifting things off the ground and that um, it's funny when you get close to something, but not quite there, it destroys the reality more than if it's pretty clearly not there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, you know, when I look at the game and they're close, I, I don't know. I, well, and you don't want to see somebody spend so much on art. I mean, that's where, you know, at Sierra, it really kind of hurt us. When you suddenly start doing a game and you're seeing two thirds of the job or the budget flow into the art and the gameplay can get lost in amongst all that. So, but today, you know, like um, I'm, I'm starting something now that hopefully will turn out to be an adventure game. Mm. And um, I've been learning uh, Unity, the uh, game development engine, and that does both 3D and 2D. And I'm going in with the assumption I want to be 3D. And, but if at some point um, it looks like the 3D is going to bog it down too much, I'll focus on 2D. We'll find out. Um, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, We'd love to review it. At this point, I just got to learn to program the damn thing. Um, <laughs> well, you've I've learned amazed, everything. Though, you've you've never let that stop you. <laughs> 25 years ago, when I mean, when Sierra toward the end with King's Quest 8, you can't believe what a struggle it was to do the 3D, but that was in a different world. I Now mm. it's so funny. I mean, in Unity, by the end of the first day, I had 3D characters up wandering around. So um, it, it is uh, much, much easier today to develop for 3D than in my era. And uh, I will see. I guess I don't have a strong opinion other than I just don't want anything to make the game not fun. And if well, that means uh, thing, yeah. you know, giving away so much budget for the graphics or giving away all the horsepower of the machine to support the graphics, you know, really you just got to build a fun game to play and focus there. So. If, and it's probably very early now, you just mentioned it, but is there anything at all that you can say in what you're working on now or is it still too early? <laughs> well, no, I, I, I can say, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm one guy and working in a world where teams are a thousand people. So the question is, what can one guy do that is, uh, because I don't want to sit still. I mean, Roberta and I have a pretty good life. We travel all the time. We um, live kind of five or six months a year on a boat. Uh, we've um, taken our boat everywhere. Ireland, Ireland was certainly on our list for where we want to take the boat. We've even scheduled it a few times and then had to cancel for one reason or another. But we, we circumnavigated our little boat. I'll be and, here waiting uh, for you guys when you do come yeah. to Ireland. <laughs> I'd, I'd love, well. to, I'd love to give you a tour there. here. We, um, and actually, uh, one of the guys that we uh, were circumnavigating with in another boat did take his boat over to Ireland. And um, yeah, in fact, there's been a couple of boats of uh, the same brand as ours that have gone to Ireland and gone across the North Atlantic, which always freaked me out because they've, um, they've got real live icebergs up there. And I don't, I don't want to run into one of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we'll, we'll probably get there sooner or later because it's definitely on our bucket list to do is take our boat up there. Well, you're gonna, that, you're gonna um, love this year. This is so beautiful. We'll be here waiting uh, for you. So, yeah, we. Uh, yeah. The first Guinness is on us. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there. The uh, well, we, and like I said, we were there this year, but that was on a car, and it's not the same as when you arrive in your boat. Mm. But I can imagine. We, yeah. um, no, I, I, I'm working. You know, I've, I've been highly focused on what's a uh, tiny little niche where there's not much competition where I can do something fun. And uh, the current goal we'll see is to do an adventure game that's teaching programming to um, 
so that people don't even know they're learning programming, but they just start playing it. But the puzzles you have to solve by writing code. And at the beginning, I mean, really simplistic code. I mean, go north is one instruction of a uh, program. If you think about it, you know, climb steps or it's, so what we'll see, but my goal is to target kind of like 10 to 14 year old kids with a um, adventure game in which, um, you know, you start out knowing nothing about programming, but by the end you're starting to learn about objects and properties and methods. And so that the graphics are kind of secondary to uh, the mission, which <laughs> is to um, without people, because a lot of our original games, if you look at our original adventure games, there were a lot of people that used them to learn English. You know, there was oh, never yeah, here's one. <laughs> Me. How to learn English. But, uh, but the adventure game is a good, um, a, a good format for learning something without realizing you're learning it because you're experiencing it. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm working out the plot and stuff and I'm working out how to be able to code. But I think people will play this who have an interest in, um, well, I, I'm not going to be as bold as to say you're learning the program. I think that'll just kind of happen. You know, the real mission will be to save the world or do something. You'll have a little robot to help you, and you'll have to put his program in there to get him to do anything. But, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, I tend to start something, and then I'm going to follow what people are having fun with. I'll probably be showing people a prototype two months from now, and they'll say, you know, that sucks, and I'll spin it a different direction. But we'll find out. You know, I, I, I like to see smaller mechanics. <laughs> I like but the sound I'm of it. I'm hoping to suck Roberta in. <laughs> you know, I, you know, already at dinner, I was telling her what I was working on, and she was uh, trying to push me toward more of a medieval theme for it. But you know, mm. medieval robots don't happen, so we'll see. But okay, can, we'll can be kind of a steampunk thing again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that would be amazing if the two of you could come back. I mean, it's great that you're already getting back into adventure game, but if the two of you could come back, I mean, it would send shockwaves around the industry. Um, well, heard it here first. We'll see. I, I, um, <laughs> It's tough. In today's world, one person cannot do a heck of a lot. It's a different world than 40 years ago when we got in, but we'll find out. I, you know, I'm pretty fast. I'm pretty motivated. So, and Roberta is a pretty good designer. So if I can, yeah. I can get her look. Mm, yeah, we know. <laughs> Slight <laughs> understatement. <laughs> well, we, uh, no, we, we don't want to keep you uh, too strong. We've already kept you um, too long. Now I know with the whole section of the book is talking about, um, you know, the, you know, Sierra, how it was sold and everything that happened. But one thing that I wanted to ask you as well is um, the many achievements of Sierra and of yourself and Roberta as well over the years. Are there any achievements in particular? Is there anything in particular that you guys have done that you are particularly proud of? I mean, I know we could be here probably an hour <laughs> listing everything you guys oh, have God. accomplished. But is there anything in particular that you're particularly proud of? So, besides the kids, of course. <laughs> no, I, I, sure. I, I, some of the games we did, obviously. Um, you know, uh, some of my favorite ones were lesser known ones like Dr. Brain series, Incredible Machine. Mm. You know, I like things that push people's minds and make them think a little bit. Um, you know, and, and entertainment, King's Quest and stuff. Um, well, I mean, just doing it at all. I mean, it was, it was we were we were a real live industry leader for a long time, and the company should have still been around today. It uh, we even exploded in a dramatic fashion. So I mean. You know, it um, crazy times. But let's see, I should probably plug my book long as I'm here. That's kensbook.com. And more importantly, Roberta's book will be out yes. uh, November, December sometime. And that's robertasbook.com. And, um, and we'll see, you know, kind of the history of Ireland from her perspective. But uh, I mean, 
I, I am she, definitely she, interested in that. Yeah. Would, would she love, to, she's, talk, she's would she love to talk about that? It's so different than uh, anything she's done before. And um, she kind of knows that everybody would, um, everybody wants her to kind of do a King's Quest-ish style book or fantasy. And this one's more of a dry, well, semi-dry history book. So we'll see. People might hate it, but what the heck? Oh, she, I don't think but, so. Life <laughs> where she's doing things for fun, not for. Um, would she, would she like money. to like to talk about it about the book in a couple of months when it comes well, out? Well, I'm sure when oh. it comes time and she gets it ready, um, she'll do like me. She'll release it. Although she may not do press, we'll see. I don't. I don't know. I will twist her arm. She's very shy. Well, we, we would be, again, with no pressure at all, but we'd be delighted to talk to her about her book. Her, yeah. And the book, you said that uh, her, her nickname at one point was Roberta Hot Tub Williams. I know, that's funny. <laughs> she's, um, she's a sexy lady. I like her. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that comes across in the book really, really well. And I yeah. highly, highly recommend reading it. As I said, I'm, I'm at about three-fifths in. I think I'm going to finish it t tonight or tomorrow because I am... I'm devouring the book, Ken. It's it's wow. really well written. You are clearly yep. not the only. Uh, Roberta was clearly not the only storyteller in the family oh, because uh, you might have been noticed the CEO, but you write a compelling story about the history of of Sierra. And I'm glad that you and Roberta eventually got on your feet and are enjoying life to the fullest. Well, thank you. It, um, yeah, I was always jealous of all the creative people that work for Sierra. More than anything, I wanted to work for Sierra. It, um, <laughs> it was, well, I wanted to work for me, not be me. You know, it, for me. I was a professional airplane rider and jerk or something because I had to tell people to get to work and stay on budget. But what I really wanted was to be writing code and uh, building games like everybody that worked for Sierra. So it was a pretty incredible time. And now, yeah, that was the fun part of the book. It's getting to sit down and create something, even if it's just a book. So, um, yeah. Anyway, thank you. Yeah, this thank has been you very for, good. And uh, I hope not boring for your audience. No, not, not at, all. at all. I think this will probably become the most popular <laughs> interview, yeah. I imagine. Um, but thank you so much, Ken. We, I look forward to reading your book myself. And I look forward to hopefully hearing more about the game that you're working on. If you do want to talk about that at a later point, uh, we would be delighted to have you on. And uh, of course, Roberta as well talking about uh, her book as well. But it's been an absolute honor to have you on uh, this podcast. Um, and I wish you guys, well, th thank you as well. As Thomas said, thank you for everything you have done and that you continue to do as well. Um, and yes, yeah, so your book is not, not all fairy tales have happy endings. I would definitely recommend, you know, I'm sure Thomas would recommend people to, uh, to buy it since you're the one reading it uh, so far. Absolutely. Um, Get this book, read it. So read it again. So thank you, Ken. I hope uh, hope we keep we keep in contact. Hope to hear more about what you guys are working on. Well, do okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, you so much. Bye bye. So that was our interview with Ken Williams, the co-founder and CEO Sierra Online. So huge thank you to Ken for joining us, and uh, thank you so much to everybody for listening to us and supporting us over the last one hundred episodes in two years or so. Uh, it really has been quite a journey. And I've really, really enjoyed doing this. this. We would not be able to do this without people's support. So thank you sincerely again um, over the last two years for your support. And we have no plans on stopping yet. We continue to record these episodes. There may be some changes in this new year. We might be updating the format a little bit. But this podcast will continue. 
So if you do like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can. The link is in the show notes. And you can also join us on Patreon if you wish to support us. Um, but if not, don't worry. And uh, yeah, so next week I will be joined again by Thomas and by Laura as we will be looking back over the last two years that we've been doing the podcast. And uh, we may or may not be joined by a special guest or two as well. Hopefully we will, but we'll see what we can do. So until then, uh, thanks again, everyone, and enjoy your week. Take care. <laughs>the adventure games podcast then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts please leave a review on itunes if you can as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you